so much instability, so much that we don't understand, that we don't know. For me, growing up, it was, a lot of you guys know, my mom died giving birth to me, and my dad remarried, then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine, then my dad got married again, then my dad died of cancer when I was 12, and so I'm in junior high, my mom's dead, my stepmom's dead, my dad's dead. The only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra. And then when I was in high school, they got in a fight, and my uncle George shot and killed my aunt, and then stuck the gun to his own head. Killed himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried, we get a little scared. And this is what Christians do, you know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky. And things get a little unstable. And so we go, okay, that was nuts. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here. And uh, I'm just going to hold on. And uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what? I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to... Um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves, we're going to live in a gated community, I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm not going to let them outside because the sun has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on, and you just live your life in the safety of, I don't want to do anything crazy for God, I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2%, um, and uh, maybe serve health in the nursery because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life, and then you, you go your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it, and then just go up to heaven. And so you want to die like this, just in your sleep, oh, right, a little dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven, and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge, and you go. <laughs> Now, if I, could you imagine, could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know, and some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes, what is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, that's the routine that they're going to live, and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge, and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, wow, well done. Well done. You lived the safest life possible. You didn't slip. You didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. Yeah, you can applaud, Francis. Couldn't have said it better myself. You know, that's what I want to talk about. You guys are stuck with me for three weeks. 
Doug's laying in the dirt. <laughs> I slept with my bed. I'm okay with that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I want to talk over the next three weeks about this whole principle that Francis Chan kind of brings up. Is what does it really mean to live a life where you thrive in your life? So I think too many of us are just trying to survive. We're just trying to get by. We're just, we're just, we're straddling that thing. We're holding on for dear life. And we're just hoping, please, God, just let me die in my sleep. And I, and I want us to investigate what that's all about. And how do we be a people who, who thrive in what we're doing, who thrive in our life? Because Jesus, he said this, he said in John 10, 10, he goes, I came that you might have life and that you might survive somehow, right? You guys memorize that verse? Okay, you need to memorize that verse. It's a really important verse. Because if you memorized it, it would say that I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That you would have life that's an abundant life. That you would have a life where you thrive in your life. See, Jesus came and he, and he died on a cross for us. So that we could have salvation. But that's not all. Because if that's all he did, I'd go, great, I get to go to heaven and all I have to do is survive here, man. It's like, if I can get through this, then I got salvation. Yeah. But that's not what he did. He, what did he do after he died? Come on, this is a hard question. He rose from the dead, right? Three days later, he rose in power. What is that all about? Paul says that in death was victory. That death was swallowed up in victory. The power of the Holy Spirit that now has us gives us the power to live a life where we're not just holding on trying to get by. But we have a life that we can thrive in. See, we have the power of what God wants to do, that abundant life. And I really want us over the next three weeks to look at what that's all about because the challenge with us talking about abundant life and thriving is is we kind of just have our own reality that we filter everything through, don't we? And so we just see what's happening in our life and what our circumstances are. And we have a tendency to, just, to determine whether we're thriving or not based on circumstances. Well, is my career going well? Am I making good money? Do I have a nice car? Is my house not breaking down? I mean, when things are going good in our reality, we go, wow, this is good. And when they're not, it's not. And, and I think biblically, that's not where God wants us to be. And I really want to challenge us to develop a mindset that really understands what it means to thrive. And so today we're going to talk about that. What does that look like? And then the next couple Sundays, we're going to really peel back. So how do, we, how do we do that? How do we become people who thrive in our lives? <clears throat> you know, I, I don't know if you guys did this, but you know, after that Orlando shooting, I mean, that thing was just devastating. And, and you know, I, I, I'm convinced that's not the end. I mean, I, I think that we're going to become, um, it's going to become an occurrence that happens more, more, more often, or at least again. And, and so, you know, I'm thinking, what would I do if I was in a venue? Because I'm going to go to crowded venues. Anybody not going to crowded venues because you're afraid something's going to happen? No, I'm going to go. But I'm thinking, what would I do if I, if I was in a crowded venue and somebody came in and just started shooting? Now, now there's some realities that I understand. See, if I'm close to him and, and I get up and run, I mean, I am old, fat, and slow. <laughs> Man, I am one easy target. So, so the chance is, 
that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to survive, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it, are probably pretty remote. So I have two other choices. I can just play dead, which I could probably do pretty well at that point in time. Um, or I could do something that just doesn't occur to people, I don't think, in those venues, although it did on an airplane that was supposed to be flying into the Capitol building or the White House or wherever. I could decide that I'm going to go towards that guy. If I'm going to get shot anyway, maybe I have an outside chance of doing something to stop him from doing harm to everybody else. And maybe somebody else might say, that guy's crazy. That's not a bad idea. I mean, what would happen if 40 people would have just ran at that guy as soon as he came into that club? Yeah. Do we ever think about that? I don't think that this, the same damage would have, would have happened. Now, reality is, is that... Um, <laughs> I probably would have just hid behind Marge and we both would have been shot. But, but um, she would have taken him out. Um, but, but the reason I bring that up is, is it really begs this question because we are in a war. Anybody question that? We're in a spiritual war, amen? And, and how much time do we think about that? Because when I think about, so what would I do? And I really mull that over my mind. The chances that I'm going to do something more productive increase, right? Because I'm at least more prepared. I at least thought about it. Now, whether I actually do it or not, who knows? I really don't want to have to find out. But at least if I think it through and it happens, I go, wow. And, and I might actually do something different than if it just took me by surprise. I never thought about it and it just happened, right? So that really begs the question is, is what do we do in this spiritual warfare when we get attacked? Do we ever just sit and think, so what will happen when temptation comes? When I'm tempted with this or when I'm tempted with that? What, what, how am I going to respond when the world attacks me or the flesh attacks me? How am I going to respond when this thing happens and I tend to get angry and I tend to flare up? How am I going to respond when these things happen? Because if I'm prepared, I may respond differently than if I just let it continue to beat me up. It continues to surface, and it continues to beat me up, and I continue to let it happen, and I don't really think through what I need to do. This morning, I really want us to begin to think through this whole process of what does it mean to be prepared, and what does it mean to thrive, because we have choices. We can either thrive or we can survive. And the end result, based on whether or not we really are prepared to understand what we're getting ourselves into, if we're going to thrive. I mean, there's a great story of a, of a people, the Israelites. We all know the story. This guy, Joseph, got thrown in a pit, and then he went to a palace, and he went to prison, then he became the right-hand man to Pharaoh. Why did that happen? Because his family was going to starve to death, and God didn't want his family to starve to death because that was his chosen people, and he wanted to take care of his chosen people. I'm not going to go to the scripture, just start in Genesis, read through the end of Exodus, and you'll probably get most of the story. So um, the people came out of their, their homeland, to Egypt, because that's where all the food was, and that was where Joseph was. Joseph put them this prime property. They got in this prime property. They grew, they grew, they grew. They outgrew their territory. The Egyptians got all freaked out, said, these guys are going to take control of our land, so we're going to make them slaves. They make them slaves. And the people said, oh, God, help us. And God said, okay. So he sends Moses. Moses comes and helps them through miracles and plagues, and he parts the Red Sea, and he does all kinds of great stuff in the wilderness. He brings them up to the promised land, this land of milk and honey, and they send people into this land. They said, check it out. Let's see what it's like. And they come back with all this stuff, fruit and all kinds of great stuff, and they go, yes! They go, there's one small problem. 
these people are huge. There is no way we can do this. And they go, oh. And they curl up in the fetal position and just hope it all goes away. They never entered into the promised land. They never entered into the promised land. They said, oh, man, we have to survive. That's too, that's too risky. We can't do that. And so they ended up wandering around in the wilderness for another 40 years till they all passed away, their kids came up, and their kids did it. This is, this is the thing, you know. God is equipping us for a purpose, and we have a decision. Are we going to survive, or are we going to thrive? See, God has promises that he wants you to enter into. The question is, do you want to survive, or do you want to thrive? God said, I am going to give you this promised land, but you're going to have to participate, and it's risky. You have a choice. Do you want to walk with me in victory, or do you want to just sit back and survive in safety? If you sit back and survive in safety, you are going to miss the promises I have for you. What a travesty. And that's what they did. They sat back, they wandered around until the kids came in and they, and they took over the promised land. And here's the thing. God says, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 10, Paul says, you know, God's not going to give you anything that you can't handle. It's gonna, he's going to take care of you. And so, so he's not going to put us in situations where, where we can't handle it. And so what would have happened if God, if, the, if God would have said, okay, well, just go in anyway. They changed their mind. They go, oh, we changed our mind. God, we really want to go. And he goes, no, it's too late. Well, why did God do that? Because he knew that as soon as they crossed, they probably would never have gotten across the Jordan. But even if they did, when they got to Jericho and he says, oh, walk around the city seven times, four horns, they go, are you kidding me? What kind of plan is that? We're not doing that. He says, well, well there's these guys in the upper land. They're giants and stuff, but you can take them. They go, oh, no, we're not doing that. We're going to stand down here where it's safe. I mean, they were in survival mode. When you're in survival mode, you will not go forward into God's promises. And God knew that, so he said, okay, we will wait until Joshua and Caleb, who always were in thrive mode, weren't they? They said, now you guys, we can do this. We can do this. And they go, no, we can't. No, we can't. Yes, we can. And those are the two guys that took him into the promised land. I tell you, I want us to think this thing through because life is all about being people who either choose to survive or choose to thrive. I think there are people today, every morning, that are getting up and going to work in survival mode. They're getting up going, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. But you know what? I can get through till Friday. I did it last week. I did it the week before. I can do it this week. Somehow I'll survive. Somehow I'll get through this thing. There are some people, I think, that promise to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, for sickness and health until death do us part. But you never realize that there would be more sickness and health. There would be no more worse than better. There would be no poorer than richer. I mean, it's not fair. I can't handle this. This isn't what I signed up for. But I made a commitment, so I'll survive. Somehow I'll hang in there. Somehow I'll get through this. Some of you guys are in school and you're getting up and you're going, man, it's summer, yes, but I got to go back in September. I don't even know why I'm going. I don't know what I'm trying to do. I don't even know why I'm taking this class. This class is useless. I don't know why I'm here, but you know what? I'll get through it somehow because I know Christmas vacation's coming and then Easter and then summer again. Yes, 
So we're in survival mode. Somehow we're going to get through that. Some of you graduated from college. Yes! And you're pursuing your career, and the challenge is your career is running faster than you're pursuing, and somehow you don't know if you'll ever get there. So I'm working someplace I really don't want to work, doing something I really don't want to do, but you know what? I'll survive. I'll get through it somehow. Some of us are just going through seasons of life that it just seems like, man, I don't know if I can get through this anymore. I mean, everything that has gone wrong, is going wrong, will go wrong, is going wrong. And you wake up every day going, man, is this ever going to end? And all you're thinking is, if I can just get through another day, if I can just survive another day. We're just living in a survival mode. How do, how, do we, how do we get through that? How do we see things differently? And that's what I want us to get after this morning because in Psalm 90, verse 12, it says this, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. We have been given days by the Lord. We don't know what it is. Everybody knows their birthday, right? What's your death date? Anybody know? No, I don't know. I have given, I've been given today. So number today, because today is the day that the Lord has given me. And, and, and as, I, as I'm living today, I live today in wisdom, seeking the Lord's wisdom for how I live this day to the fullest. How do I thrive today? Too many of us are worrying about tomorrow. Jesus says, what are you worried about tomorrow for? Tomorrow's got enough things going on. Worry about today. Today is the day the Lord has given you. We waste so many todays regretting yesterday and worrying about tomorrow. And we're not thriving today because of the stuff that's gone on and the stuff that's going to go on. And that's not the life that the Lord wants us to live. We're going to be spending some time in the New Testament because Paul was one guy who knew how to thrive. And if you look at Paul's life through a filter of reality, of what feels good, what looks good, and stuff like that, and we kind of talked about this a little bit last time I preached. Paul's life didn't kind of conform to that. I mean, he was beaten. He was tortured. He was starving. He was shipwrecked. I mean, he had more things go wrong in his life in two weeks than most of us have go wrong in our entire lifetime. And yet he thrived in what he did. He was a person that thrived. So I want us to go to 2 Thessalonians and just kind of get a glimpse of Paul's mindset. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a lot of different letters that Paul has written to different churches that really have the same basic message. But hopefully, if we read it a lot of different ways, we'll get it. And we'll make a decision to have a life where we thrive day by day by day, where we aren't just hunkering down, crawling in a foxhole somewhere, hoping that this thing passes by. But we can be in the middle of it making a difference. 2 Thessalonians 1, starting at verse 11, he says this, To this end also we pray for you always, that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for your goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Four things he talks about, four awesome things that he talks about here. First, he says that God would count you worthy of your calling. That tells me two things. One is God's called me. That's good news. God has called me for a purpose. And so now he wants to know, am I going to be worthy of the calling that he's called me to? And so Paul prays 
that, that they would be worthy of, of their calling. And then he goes on and he says a second thing, to fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. See, when God calls us, what he calls us to is a good thing, good works. But he doesn't just call us to good works. He allows us to do that in faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not us. See, here's the challenge. God said, go into the promised land, but guess what? You can't do it. That's what happens when we enter into God's promises. He goes, you're going to enter into my promises, but you can't do it. You can't do it. We're going to do it in such a way that, that everybody who sees us says, man, only God could do that. Who else can part the stinking Red Sea? Only God. The, the, the Jordan River was flooding when God said, okay, we're ready to go in. And, and you know, I'm sure Joshua goes, yeah, that's a good idea, God. Really good timing. And he says, just send those guys in. He goes, good, at least they're going in and they can drown. And what happens? It backs up. It backs up. Only God can do that. When God sends you into his promises, it's the power that he has that makes it happen. It's not us. And that's where we struggle because we look at it and go, this is impossible. We can't do this. I'm hanging on, baby. I'm hanging on. The third thing he says, so that, and this is the key. If you don't get this, if you don't get anything else, get this. This is your purpose, okay? So that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified. So it's not about me. It's not about my name. It's not about my recognition. It's not about my safety. It's not about my peace. It's not about me. It's so that the name of Christ will be glorified. When I go into the office during the day, it's not about do I like my job? Is my boss nice to me? Do the people that I work with are nice to me? Do I really like what I'm doing? Do I feel a peace about what I'm doing? Do I feel accomplished by what I'm doing? The question is, is Jesus Christ being glorified today where you are? That's the question. That's how you thrive in life. When you go, this is a spiritual battle, you guys. We got to see this thing through a spiritual, spiritual lens. When you go and people say, man, what is so different about that person? Why does that person have joy? Why is that person honest? Why does that person have integrity? Why does that person behave that way? It's because Jesus Christ is Lord of my life and Jesus gets the glory and people go, man, I want that. Guess who wins? Spiritually, eternally, they're rejoicing because another soul has come into the kingdom because we went into God's promises with a lifestyle that's different than everybody else. Why do we have marriages that thrive? Because I know that God said, Dave, you love your wife like I love the church. It doesn't matter. Nothing else matters, Dave. It doesn't matter whether you think it's fair. It doesn't matter whether you think it's right. It doesn't matter whether you like it. You love her like Christ loved the church. Why? Because when people see me loving my wife that way, they go, wow, what is it about that guy? I'll tell you what it's about that guy. Jesus is Lord of his life, and Jesus has transformed him so that he can be a husband that knows how to love his wife. Why does Marge love, respect me and honor me and submit to me like the church submits to Christ? Because Jesus Christ is Lord, and he's glorified. And people go, man, that marriage. What is it about that marriage? That marriage is all about Jesus. And if there's one family that sees it and they come to Christ as a result of it, the kingdom rejoices. That's much better than me getting my way, me being right, me having the right. I'm all that garbage that we get caught up in. Listen, you guys, this is what it's all about. This is when, this is when we're crossing over into the promises. We just get so caught up in ourselves that we miss it. And then here's the, here's the fourth thing he says. He goes, according to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, 
Get that. It, we can only glorify Christ because of the grace of God that said, I will die for you even though you don't deserve it. I will accept you. I will adopt you into my family even though you don't deserve it. There's nothing you could do to earn it. You've done everything to make sure that shouldn't happen. You never should have that. It's not right. It's not fair, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Man, when we walk in grace, when we realize that everything that's happening right now, I don't deserve, but God gave it to me anyway, how could we treat people differently? I mean, why would that grace not just so permeate us that we just can't wait to go out and be Jesus for everybody else? Paul knew that. Paul is writing this stuff because that was what he knew. That was what he understood. That's the power of what God, what God is doing in his life. I'm getting a little excited about this. You know, God is going to continue to, um, I'll probably preach this like 20 more times because he's, he's got to somehow penetrate this thick skull of mine. But he's getting there, you guys. He actually is getting there. He wrote a letter to the Ephesians. Let's go back, back a book. Actually, it's two books. Ephesians 1. Because this is the stuff that happens when Paul understands a spiritual part of what's going on. When Paul lives his life in the context of eternity. So as he's writing to different, to different churches, the message that he sends just really talks about this concept of thriving and how can you thrive. In verse 21, Paul says this, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. For I'm high, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. So that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. See, Paul knew that, that, that life had a purpose. And for him, his purpose was to fulfill what God wanted him to do. So for him, to live his life was Christ. To live his life was continue to glorify Christ and do what Christ wanted to do. But really... The good thing is when I can die. How many of us think that way? You know, I can't wait to die. I mean, man, we're doing everything we can to add to our life, right? And I'm not saying just eat junk food so you die faster. Don't get me wrong. So we need to live a fruitful, abundant life. But man, we should anticipate the time that we get to see Jesus face to face and we get to spend eternity in the glory of the living God. See, Paul understood that. To him, to die was gain. See, to him, to die was gain. See, he knew why he lived and what he lived for. He, he knew why he was here, to live as Christ and what he was to do. And once he settled that, everything else is good. See, the safest place on earth is living in faith with your father. When you know that to live is Christ and to die is gain, then whatever God calls us to do, man, if I'm going to turn into the promised land, it looks dangerous, okay. The worst thing that, I, that could happen is I go be with my daddy for the rest of my of eternity. That's not so bad. Paul understood that. So Paul was able to do things that um, allowed him to, to walk in obedience to Christ in a powerful way. We all know the story. I, I shared it last time I preached, in fact, in Acts um, 21. Paul was going to Jerusalem, and, he's, and he stops at Ephesus, and he's, he meets with the people at Ephesus and stuff like that, and Agabus comes, and he's a prophet, and he grabs Paul's belt, and he ties himself up, and he says, Paul, this is how you're going to go into Jerusalem. You're going to go in bound up. 
And the people got all freaked out. They go, oh, Paul, don't go. It's too, it's too dangerous. You can't do this. And Paul says, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm willing to go because for me to live is Christ. And I'm willing to die because I know that if I die, it's gain. See, Paul's understanding allowed him to live a life where he wasn't afraid to enter into the promises of God and take a risk. It's so important for us to get our arms around that because that's the important part of it. See, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem and and the people go, Paul, don't go because they're going to get you. They're going to get you. And see, what they didn't understand, and this is so important for us to get. I mean, you guys, listen. This is so critical for you to understand. Jesus already got Paul. You got that? Jesus already got Paul on the road to Damascus. See, once you're got by Jesus, nobody else can get you. I mean, that is such good news. See, if God is calling us and God has us, then if his hand's on us and he's calling us and he's entering us into the promised land, nobody can get us. God already has us. He already got us. And so we can walk in obedience. We can take risks. Once you've been got by Jesus, nobody else can get you. Nobody else can get you. See, Paul just never saw obstacles and issues at the end of the day. He was a guy that was called and controlled by conviction. And the conviction that he understood that Jesus is Lord and his life is Christ. His conviction that he was called to be an apostle, apostle and to preach the message. So that was Paul's calling. And so Paul responded to that calling. And here's the thing. Why are we here today? Why do we come to church? We come to church so that we can grow in our conviction of what God's called us to be. I don't think God calls everybody to be an apostle and go preach the message. At least not like Paul. But God has called us. And as we come today, what happens is, as we come to grow in our conviction of who we are in Christ so that we can go out there and thrive. We come so that we can grow in our conviction so that we can go out there and be who God wants us to be. We grow because when we, we know when we come in here, we have people that have our back so that when we go out there, we can win. We can be who God wants us to be. It's critical for us to understand this. See, we're on a journey. You know, life has a beginning and life does have an ending. We don't know what that end date is, but we know that it happened. And yet it really didn't bother Paul. See, Paul understood it. And so Paul's philosophy, Paul's understanding of what God wanted to do was to have him be somebody who runs well day by day by day. And it's the same thing for us. Life is short, so run well. Every day is critical. So run well. You don't have any repeat. So run well. You can't do it over again. So run well. There's no do-overs here. So each day we can be a people who run well. Paul understood that. Paul wrote uh, to Timothy, and it was one of his... um, Last letters, actually, to, to, to Timothy. He was in prison. He knew he was going to die. He wasn't doing very well. 
2 Timothy 4. This is what Paul says to him. It's, it's just an amazing set of verses. Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, starting at verse 6, it says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. See, Paul knew who God was. Paul never saw obstacles as problems. Paul understood that if God called him to that, God was going was gonna to make things happen. He was going to win. He was called and controlled by a conviction that God was God and God was going to do what was best and God was going to use him to fulfill God's plans that he had for him. Are you with me? And that's true for each one of us. God has a purpose and a call for each one of us. We need to be convinced that that's true. Paul was convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that that was true, so he didn't mind being poured out. That wasn't an issue for him to be poured out. See, Paul didn't have any regrets. He had no shoulda, coulda, wouldas. He was, he was called by God, and he walked in obedience to God day by day by day to fulfill what God was calling him to do. And, and, and the consequences weren't considerations of him. When he, when he wrote this letter, and when he wrote the letter to Ephesians in that same time period, Paul was in prison in Rome. Paul was in prison seven different times. Sound like a life that's thriving? Sounds like how you would define abundant life? Seven different times. The sixth time, he was let go. Nero put him, Nero put him in prison, let him go. If you were in prison by Nero... What would you do when you got let go? <laughs> I'd get out of Dodge, man. I would, I would be nowhere near Rome. Nero was crazy. He, was, he had burned down Rome, and he was blaming the Christians for the fire. So he was persecuting Christians because he was blaming them for what was happening. And so what he was doing is he was crucifying Christians all up and down the road to Rome, and then at night he would just set them on fire to light the road to Rome. Does that sound like a place you'd want to hang out if you're a Christian? Especially if you're one of the leaders and you know Nero's after you. Paul stuck around because to him, his purpose was called, he was called to be in Rome. To, for him to die was gain. He wasn't worried about that because he was persuaded he was convinced that death is swallowed up in victory. And when we are convinced of that, we can, we can walk in obedience because we don't worry about that stuff. Because we know who our God is, and we know what our God is doing, and we know that our God is faithful. You guys with me? Okay, I want to I I read just a couple more quick passages, and then we'll be done. Let's turn to Romans 8, because I think this is something that Paul had so deeply internalized that it drove all of his other thought processes. In Romans 8, starting in verse 31. And listen, the reason I'm kind of doing this is I want you to hear Paul's heart. This isn't just a bunch of words in a book. This is the Apostle Paul sharing his heart with us, sharing his heart with churches so that they understand what was important to him and what drove him. So in Romans 8, starting at verse 31, he says, what then shall we say? to these things. If God is for us, who is against us? 
So when Paul was released by Nero and he stayed in Rome, what was he thinking? Hey, if God is for me, who can be against me? It's not going to be that knucklehead. He said, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Do you really believe that? Do I really believe that? That's a tough one to believe. Really, does God want to freely give me all things? Does God really know what's best for me? And so what's going on in my life right now, is that God freely given to me exactly what I need to fulfill his purposes? When we understand that and internalize that, we will thrive in every situation we find ourselves. And then he says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, will distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Does that sound like something you want to volunteer for? Anybody want to thrive? That's your lifestyle. Anybody volunteer? Not me. That's not what I, what, what I picture. But here's what he says. He says, but in all these things, we survived. Right? Now it says, we just hunkered down. We made it through. Yes, praise God. He says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. What does that mean? That means that somehow the kingdom of God was glorified and furthered and God was, was um, glorified in the midst of it. See, that's what thriving is all about. It's not our experience. It's the spiritual warfare that's going on and how God uses us to glorify him. And then he says, for I am convinced. I'm not just thinking about it. I'm not just wondering about it. I'm not just hoping. I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creative thing, does that cover about everything? Will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, 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 nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. So if God has a plan for us, if God has a promise for us, if God loves us and God is all-powerful and God has taken care of us, does it make sense that maybe we should enter the promises he's given us? Even if it seems scary, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it doesn't seem fair, doesn't it make sense that we would just walk in obedience when we know that nothing can separate us from his love? In 1 Corinthians, Paul um, talks a little bit about how that happens and how do we live that out. 1 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 24. Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So basically, Paul's saying everybody who competes in the games they prepare, they train, they work hard, they make sure that they come in well-equipped, prepared, in great shape. All that work they do for something that's perishable. You with me? So then he says, therefore, spiritually, I run in such a way as not without aim. 
I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. If I am going to thrive, it doesn't just happen. And we're going to talk about this the next couple Sundays. If you're going to thrive in life, it just doesn't happen because I go, okay, I want to go out, you know, I'm going to thrive now. And if I go, you know, I think I'm just going to play on the Olympic basketball team this year. I think so. I'll show up in Rio. I'm ready. It's not going to happen unless I train, unless I get to be about 6'9 and train. But, um, but you know, it takes work. You have to train. You have to be prepared. And spiritually, if you want to thrive in life, that doesn't just happen because you want to thrive. That doesn't just happen just because we sat here for it. It happens because we choose that we are going to be a people who prepare ourselves on a daily basis, on an ongoing basis, to be people who thrive in life. And we're going to talk about that over the next couple weeks. So, man, don't miss next Sunday and the Sunday after, because you're going to miss it. You're going to think, wow, thriving's cool, but I don't know how to do it. See, Paul says this to the Ephesians, and, and um, Doug preached on this, and it's just such a great verse. He said, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You guys, listen, you're going to thrive in life if you understand the fact that you are uniquely created to be you. There is no other you ever created or ever will be created. You are uniquely created to be you with purposes that only you can fulfill in God's kingdom because you're the only person who's created like you. And God has a purpose for you that is a specific purpose that will glorify his name, that will further his kingdom, and that will have a big impact eternally if you will cross over into his promises. If you are just going to hang on and, and make sure that it's safe and make sure that, you know, well, what if that person says something to me and they know I'm a Christian and they start making fun of me? Or, I mean, all this stuff that stops us from being people who want to glorify God in what we do. See, we have a choice that we can make. We can either survive, it's safe, probably nothing serious is going to happen, or we can thrive, way more risk, way more danger as far as our, you know, security and all the stuff that, that we like to surround ourselves with, but so much more a part of what God is all about, so much more a part of fulfilling what God wants to do in our life and how God wants to use us eternally. Because we are just a blade of grass. We're going to grow. We're going to wither. We're going to dry up. And we're going to blow away. That's it. And you don't have any redos, man. So, so we need to choose. In the time that God has for me right now, do I want to thrive or am I just going to hunker down? I don't know about you guys, but I think thriving sounds like an option that um, I'm going to enjoy much more when I stand before the Father and go, Lord, I tried to obey you and everything I did.